it's almost like we're just walking it, like we were bitten by a snake and and uh, like Rick Vanderbilt just wandered back into a, a, a world that we're now rediscovering. <sighs> yeah, and woke up to a different world, changed world. I've been thinking about this book all day and it and from the beginning, Earth Abides has been a title with me since when was it written? Hang on. 51, 53? I think it was 1949. And so it's been a title for a while. And I used to work in a bookstore. I think I've told you that before. But in about 1970. Two, three. I had. I was in charge of science fiction section, of course, and that title was always there through the whole time I worked there. And it's always called me. Why don't you read this? Because it looks so interesting. And now I have. We've actually in this podcast read quite a few books that are early. What's the earliest? Forty. Or in the forties. So science fiction is, uh, has been around for a while too. Yeah. I, mean, I think that, I mean, that makes sense as part of our exploration. I, I think the, the, what was it? The machine stopped, right? That was, that was nice. Machine stops was 1909. 1909. I think that's, I think that's the earliest, isn't it? Or was Jules Verne or earlier? Was it? Oh, uh, Jules Verne. Uh, we'll have to look. Yeah, Jules Verne is earlier. What? Uh, oh yeah, eighteen, eighteen seventy-eight. Okay, we're in good company, I think. In Earth Abides, the part of our podcast title, "Life, Death, and Sci-Fi," the death part in this book is uh, super heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pretty dark. Where do we start? We could start a bit with uh, if we're gonna summarize it and kind of remind people I, I didn't write anything up but we've got our man there Fisher Wood ish who's a uh, is he a geographer and he's up in the mountains. um is he geographer? yeah for geologist geographer up in the mountains and uh it's bitten by a snake and I, I and that was in his kind of uh, stick in a cabin when some guys run in and then run back out but something's wrong because he's they're afraid of him being sick and then by the time he gets back into, I'm not sure which part, but a part of uh, a neighborhood of San Francisco or a suburb, he's, he realizes that the whole world, 99.9999% of the world's passed away. It seems like within a matter Gone. Of yeah. From the fire. That is the, that's the opening scene to so many movies. The guy wakes up in the gurney. He's just got his hospital gown on, but nobody is around. And it seems like things are not taken care of. What's the matter? And then he goes out into the community. Yeah. Um, yeah I, the last man. That, uh, yeah. I think this story might be the grandfather of them all. I don't know. I was looking into it that I guess Mary Shelley wrote the last man in like 1826. Ooh. Jack London's got okay. like plague novels. Some kind of plague has wiped out humanity. Wikipedia here, we've got Mary Shelley's Last Man, 1826. Jack London's The Scarlet Plague, 1912. And then this one would be next in that order. Um, or Machine Stop would, be, would predate this. So those are kind of the three. Shelley's Last Man, London's The Scarlet Plague, 
and then the machine stops, which is not a plague, but a, but a post-apocalyptic uh, novel that uh, a story that predates this one. And then this one, I think, is the this was. It sounds like this was the one that kind of launched a more general interest from people. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It, well, he, he spent some time being alone. About the time he meets her, he feels like he needs it's time to something, right? Rather than to be something. Yeah. He takes that trip across the country, looking for people, and he finds those the different kinds of survivors. And I, I thought that was a good vehicle for the author to get that kind of information or idea across that that it's not just one kind of survivor that's going to save the world. And that kind of was a, a bit of a theme through Ish and his thinking th- through the book about where he fits and how the world should keep civilization and those kinds of civilization came up a lot, I think, in this story. Of course, I've been thinking about that too. Yeah. What What do you think of his, the struggle of that a bit, what do you think of his version of civilization? What is he looking to hold on to? Yeah, that's interesting. He definitely, the idea of, of religion, law and order, government, rules, those kinds of things were, I think, strong in his mind. But how that developed in the story was pretty different, which I liked a lot because I felt that conflict. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I could feel that as well. I think I probably would like that have been to explored more. But it's such a, there's so much to pack into. It's, it's, all, it's essentially we follow a life. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Third person, limit, limited, right point of view, and through him, we we experience the whole thing through him. You can help me out with the the parts uh, that were italicized. It, it was a, like an extra narrator in there bringing us along. I was going to go back and look at those parts. Was that the Earth talking to us? With the Earth abides by, oh, the first the ants overwhelmed, and then the there were dog packs and those kinds of changes in the world. Were those parts only? I can't remember. I, I, that's one of the things I was going to go back and look look at. But what was that? Sure. I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, one is, you know, were they... You know, part of me felt like it was a different type of... Different narration, a uh, different voice, obviously more... Kind of different voice, for sure, yeah. And then I, another thought was that they were, those were examples of his. So he's, he feels like his purpose is drawn from documenting the experience. So this was like his documentation of the experience. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's a writer. So he sees later, later he, he finds his own book. Not that one, but he finds his own book. Not that one, of course. He finds his own book in, in the library. So I thought, I think probably my, at least the interpretation I, I think is more, more interesting is just the idea that's his writing, right? Okay. So you feel like that's his geographer. Stream of consciousness. I think it tends to, I guess it reads more academic and edited to me than, than stream of consciousness. But I think that the way that it, where we see those, the way they're interspersed, they seem to match up with ideas in the novel. So obviously, yeah, if he's talking about the the animals as it works as a extended metaphor for some kind of metaphor for what's going on with him and his thoughts. Uh, there was one later on I don't have it marked, but I where he it's around the time that he's thinking about kind of Joey and the, the schooling and 
that it almost seems like we're inside the heads of the kids. And I thought that one was a little bit unusually striking. And I wish I'd kind of mark that um, to bring it up. Yeah, I remember that a bit. But I still think it was his interpretation of what they, they were thinking and could be thinking and through their actions, what maybe they were thinking. Yeah, maybe the break from the academic voice there makes sense for his own internal kind of struggle or to understand things, right? That that, the academic voice is at least an appearance of expertise or objective observation in some ways. Whereas that, in those moments where he was, that seemed to appear in the moment he was deeper into his own conflict. So maybe that, maybe that explains why the voice is a little different there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with that. This, the story, the, the beginning was gripping the ride across the country. I thought was, uh, pretty interesting coming back home. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's logical. I guess you'd want to be near the, the, safest place but then the rest of the story the the organization the developing of the family the begats the begats i was a little draggy in the in the middle and and i i was then interested again at the end through those what were they quick years those that helped me in a couple spots of the book and i thought oh that maybe that could have been a little bit more than the other the other description, a little bit less. I don't know. I, but it was, I think, a very well-paced and interesting story, right to the last. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I, it, it felt like it dragged a little bit in places. I, I was jolted awake. And I appreciate this, the, the speeding up through those <laughs> quick years. I was jolted awake by Charlie's arrival. I found that one of the more riveting, and I think that could have been that could have been developed a little more, even. Ooh, yeah, I, th- I yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting too. But I, I'm a little bit surprised that more connections hadn't been made until later in the story. Obviously, Ish was drawn by M's a smoke in her chimney, and. I, I can't believe that other people wouldn't see that and wander while they're wandering around. What that happened a couple of times, I think, to them. But the last time was the one that had Charlie's focus was on the Derringer in his vest and that he wouldn't take off and how he felt about Eve and Eve or Evie. Yeah. And yeah. Evie, I think. And yeah, and I think if that chapter, that section of the story had been developed more, it would have been way uglier. But still, I think yeah, the yeah. way it the way it ended in the questions it 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 brought forward were really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do. Okay, this is this kind of bothering me. In fact, there's uh, this something really bothering me. Or maybe I just missed it. But what was in the vest? Did we, did we, did we, oh, we Ezra. Yeah. Huh? Ezra thought, I think he thought it was a Derringer, a, yeah. you know, a, a single shot or a double shot. But this is like, uh, I can't remember what play or playwright, you know, talked about if there's a gun on the set, like you better, we better use it. You know, somebody better uh, use it. And I just, I, I found myself really bothered that we never found out what was in the vest. Like, 
for all we know, it was something totally, surely they would have unearthed, you know, I mean, like, um, stripped him of that when they buried him. It bothered me. I think, and I think I needed that just to feel some confirmation. I guess we get the confirmation through the typhoid fever that passes through, but that is, that's not quite as nefarious perhaps as like, bragging about the, the disease yeah. you'd have, Ooh. which makes Ooh, it yeah. pretty, pretty rotten. I think rotten the word is used, but still the idea that he may have would be to, to have him pull that gun or do something with it would be a stronger justification for their actions. You wanted an action scene there where there was a little, you know, kung fu wrestle and then the gun went flying and rifles were heard blasting. That's what you wanted. Yeah, some dogs biting on somebody's leg or something. I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I I just felt like why mention that he may have a gun in the vest and then never mention the vest again. I thought a little left, um, to, to a little bit of a, Okay, so they hung him without a jury or a trial. They just had chits of paper with death or banishment, and they chose death. And right there, as a reader, I'm thinking, okay, which one would I choose? Yeah. Which one Which one would you choose, banishment or death? That's the, the question. I think, the, I, I think his reasoning makes a lot of sense. I... But I don't think that's the good answer. So I. How's it feel up there on the fence? <laughs> Is it a little tippy? <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I think I would fall on the wrong side of the fence, more morally. But would I, you know, would I save? I'm not sure you really saved anybody in the end, anyway. I. Oh, I, it's Evie for sure. I, but I don't know. Would would uh, we we didn't get enough about that guy to know how bad he was to know that she wouldn't have been better off without him. I thought. One of the things, there's a, obviously this was written in a different time period, but I had a lot of issues with the way that the, the tone in regard to Evie and her dismissal and the way she wasn't really valued as a um, kind of human being, I thought. I, I saw her as the uh, the wild the wildling or that wild one, that girl that was in the... Yeah. The, the yeah. Woods in, um, yeah. What did they call it? The great, the great, not depression, the great, I should see, I should have that in my notes, but the great ending of all the life, she survived and people survived in different ways. And she survived in certainly a way that many people would, I think. And they, like any tribe, I think, Indian, Native American tribes treated their people who had these kinds of, of difficulties and problems and diseases. They didn't kick him out of the tribe, but they just, they let him hang out on the fringes. So I thought to me that it, it was very tribal the way they treated her. As a person who I am right now, of course, I would think that if someone took the time and love, something could happen with someone like that more than just like sitting around in a daze. I don't think that character was developed very well, except for this scene. Yeah, I think they ostracize her and turn her into a bit of a pariah to instill fear so that the young men will be afraid to uh, marry her, right? Or to have sexual rights in her. Right. Presenting like her supposedly dumb genes from being passed down, which oh yeah isn't true that's just we're talking 1949 and there's some there's a lot of there's still uh <laughs> long before they stop shock therapy or anything else but i, I don't know i yeah, 
Yeah, it was True. kind of hard to read that. Like it was a, it was, it was kind of it was a scary line of thinking there. But he continues that Ish as a character wasn't. I didn't love him as as the his character developed because he was all about looking at people's mental abilities. Well, they yeah. wouldn't make a good pair, or I wouldn't want that to happen, or I'm a, all of these people around me are sub my my kind of inferiors that. That word was never used, but he thought himself intellectually much brighter than the people he was living with, which, which kind of bothered me a little bit. I'm not, I wasn't sure where the author was going with this. Yeah, I mean, a bit of a god complex, or you know, he calls himself, you know, he starts to think of himself like a demigod in some way. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think there's a pattern there. There must be a term for that from some in sci-fi where... Because there's a pattern of that, right? We've seen that with a number of, of different authors, I think, where there's an older, a stranger in high lines, like Stranger in Strange Land, has a similar tone to it, right? Yeah, and absolutely. And I, and I think we got we get that with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. We get that a bit there as well. There's this emphasis on intelligence and, and being what I'm getting, the view of things. That well, I guess that's contextual, right? I think that would... What do you mean? I just mean that I could see that... I, I, we're probably we're less likely to see that in a writer today, a mainstream. Okay, successful. good question. It, take any scene out of The Earth Abides, maybe your favorite one, and I'll be thinking about this too, and then rewrite it without this kind of underline. Underline, I'm better than everybody. It would just have zombies and mutants the whole way through. Yeah, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. What I, I, I guess what I'm getting at, we don't have to do that, but what I'm getting at is if you could do that, would it change the story so dramatically? Would it, Certainly people can have God complexes because of the circumstances and, and that. That, I thought this author's handling of that was a little heavy-handed. Okay, I got it. You don't have to tell me so many times about how you're better. Than right. everybody. But I think there's like a, like a general lack of inaction, too, for a guy that, if anything, it supports a criticism of some intellectual that thinks a lot in abstract terms and, and maybe talks a lot, but at the end doesn't do a whole lot. And when they have to go for, what is it, 20 years, and then to lose your flushing toilet and your glass of water in the morning and go, oh, gee, I wonder how the reservoir is doing <laughs> up the road. Yeah. Come on. I mean, I'm sure I'm not, nor is intelligence probably that guy, but I, I don't know. Maybe we just have a different understanding of the world today, but I also wouldn't be still feeding on canned food decades later. I thought that was pretty interesting. And he, as Ish, the character, was very upset about that because he said, why don't these people I'm living with have any thought about the future, cannot project what might happen next year or the year after that. They don't seem to care. And I thought, yeah, that's right. I, just like you, I thought, why are these people lazy? Are they lazy? What's going on? But then if you think about it, they're just trying to survive. They, they're taking the easy way of it. But later on in the very ending of the story, it seemed their tribe was doing very well and had progressed and they were doing things. So I'm not sure, I don't know. We get the, what are the last scenes in, when they're near the, the bay in San Francisco and they're Jack's Jack and Jack's Jack or all those Jacks that are foggy and fading in and out of, oh, he's nearing the end. Life. 
Yeah. And and then they end up what do they what do they find like a, a can of salmon or something in the water and it's all you can't it's hard to get and they've got all this great this, these bow and arrows and they're eating unrecognizable you know, canned salmon. It's gotta be at that point, it's I don't know, fifty years old. True. But they they were in a they were in a forest fire trying to get this old guy out and safe. So I can see maybe emergency, you know, rations or something like that. I thought the description of that can of tuna was pretty interesting because there would be no way that I would even open up a can like that because it, it would be spoiled, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Just eating all that can, but I guess that's a, that makes sense for the time period if we're looking at 1949 and isn't that's the, if it's not the height, it's pretty close to it, the height of the instant canned food meal the, that i think that's the center of the target of, of that kind of idea of what civilization should be right. of all of this prepackaged throwaway i use once life is beautiful kind of thing yeah i think i've got a, a bit of a unhealthy interest probably in post-apocalyptic uh, uh life you know I, I stumbled across it somewhere this description of it as the uh, this is Brian Alvis, who wrote, which I haven't read. It, it, I, I hadn't heard this before, but I still across it. Brian Alvis, who wrote this science fiction history called Billion Year Spree, and he calls it the cozy catastrophe. And so the idea of this kind of sci-fi genre where, or subgenre, where it's post-apocalyptic, but everything seems so cozy and lacks like uh-huh. conflict because everyone's gone. And it's just you and you're probably middle class. And there's no one else. There's no zombies. There's no pirates or something. And, and it's just you and you're trying to re, re, renew or, or rebirth a civilization. It's just you and your books and your, <laughs> yeah. your garden or something. I don't know. I think I'd be pretty okay with me and my books in a garden. Oh, they're saying that, and we haven't really mentioned our own COVID-19 situation, but they're saying that People who stay at home and are happy with reading and not going out all of the time and playing music, watching some TV, doing gardening or whatever, they are safer and doing much better than the people who are, you know, always going out. And the the people around here who are starting to get COVID now are the people who are working because they have to because they're they don't have a savings account. They they don't have money to keep going there, so they have to go out and get jobs, which is, which is uncomfortable. Yeah, it's definitely what's happening here for sure. Absolutely, like there's, uh, you know, we haven't really seen the, the numbers go down. There's just too many people that that need to go out for water and, and food at the least, and then, and then employment as well. Yeah, for sure. And when I was reading the Earth Abides, my own situation was heavy on me. It took me, I, I started the book, I got through issues. I was on his uh, road trip and then I thought, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know if I can continue this story. And then it got cozy. So I, you know, I could finish. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I kind of wondered, it reminded me of that. Where do the bodies go? Right. I, mean, I thought when he wandered back in and it was, it had been weeks and how did that all get cleaned up? Like where did everybody go? Where were they? Were they who buried the people who disappeared the people? That all seemed a little too clean to me. 
too clean at the beginning. At, at After, what, 15, 20 years, the ants, the rats, the, the dogs, everybody, that was the cleanup crew, I think. But at, at the beginning, where they go to the hospitals? Did they? I think he mentioned people went to the hospitals to get treated or they went up in the hills or they went back home or whatever. But still, there was not that aspect of, oh, oh my God, here, here are these bodies. He didn't get into the zombie effect of that kind of, you know. No, it's only been weeks. I think in the end, he was only gone for weeks. So, so you're saying you wanted a little bit more gore early um, on in the book. Well, I just think realistically, it would have been pretty, to be a pretty harrowing, you know, pretty horrifying scene with bodies in the streets decomposing and I, I think that would be there right for for there would be a, a stench there would be you'd be pretty visceral oh yeah i don't see where that that would all disappear cleanly yeah with just some you know dogs there's a little bit here there just some stray animals here and there that's what's happening to us right now we we see on the on tv the numbers countrywide local country and then worldwide, what the COVID numbers are, the COVID death numbers and how many people have it. But it's not around us. We can't see it. There's no gore. So we're not, people aren't terrified. I think maybe those kind of movies have done something to our minds where if I don't see a zombie running down the street, then I'm not going to be scared of this thing. I'm taking off my mask. But yeah, there's something to that. It's pretty invisible for the most part, depending on where you are in the world. You're not really seeing. Uh, so do you know your local numbers You're in, in your town or area? How many people have, ha, just have the disease? Um, yeah, I just, I, gosh, I just looked it up. I think, I think we were at like uh, 300,000 with it. <gasps> They're not with it or that have had it, I should say. And then not quite that many, 200, I just looked up, yeah, 260,000 with 8,000 deaths and about a hundred, two thirds recovery. Um, now, is that countrywide or your city or? Countrywide, countrywide. Yeah, I think I put that on a different, but there's, yeah, I mean, it's still pretty bad in, in Lima. Yeah. Locally here, the, the town five miles um, to the. East it has 20, and the town to the west, another six, eight miles, has 25. Two deaths, and, 25 and the other one, period 25. No, these are little towns right around us. Yeah. So locally, we even know those numbers. I'd have to look up for Mexico and Jalisco, where we live. But it's, there are a lot of people. Yeah, I haven't seen really Mexico in the news, so that's probably a good sign. They're trying very hard, but it's still just like every place else. You can only stay put so long. And people did uh, stay put, but now as they're opening up, more people are out and, and less masks. Yeah, I'm looking at a list of countries. I think you're, gosh, I'm not even seeing that 100 and looking pretty good. I miss it. Mexico. Oh, oh never mind. I skipped it. It's number 13. So it looks like you're at 185,000 total deaths, 22,584. Yeah, the numbers are just staggering. All right. And I, and I still don't feel like it's, it's as big of a deal. Maybe that's just the news cycle, as big of a deal as it should be. It's just totally crazy. There would be, I guess we look at the worldwide deaths 
Yeah, they yeah, total deaths. I mean, you were about clicking close to a half million. That's just huge, right? Yeah, it's it, and it's way not over. It's just gonna um, keep going. Oh, oh, once it got political, I think that just changed the whole idea. And I think Ish, when he started getting political, thinking about politics, government civilization, the idea of it all, he went back and forth. And then, like you said, he just let it go. And that was a surprise to me. But the author did something cool with that because as Ish was letting go, the community was still surviving, still thriving. And I think that was an interesting point. Yeah, maybe it's not just the earth that abides. Maybe I guess if humanity, I mean, if the earth abides or the earth stays, then in some ways, some sort of life um, continues. So what part of this story was science fiction? How do we call this science fiction? It was more a subgenre of science fiction with a apocalyptic, but... Did it feel science fiction to you? Yeah, I part of that, like we're saying, like the reason you're thinking that too is just given the the moment we're hearing thing where you know that seems like a, a totally possible. There's there's a bit. Of, yeah, it just feels so real. But obviously, the idea there would be some sort of plague that would wipe out 99.9 percent is it's really a time fiction. Yeah, there's no, but, but that's about it. It really feels real. I, yeah, I think this is probably the least science fiction of all the science fiction we've read, right? There were no laser guns, and no space operas, just a very quiet place to live. Couldn't come up with a single device. Oh, we haven't talked about the, the hammer, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was going to be the intro, yeah, and, and, and a man who always carries his hammer. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So we get the, we do get a, yes, a device, I, and that certainly that's a tool, right? That's a piece of technology, not yeah. physical, but it was certainly a tool in a symbol like fire. It had me thinking about the Lord of the Flies and the conch that they carry as a symbol of power. But you know what? I was hoping at the end. I was really hoping that instead of handing. The hand, spoiler alert, instead of handing the the hammer to little Jack, Jack the third, that he would just take the hammer and throw it into the ocean. He wanted to do that, didn't he? Yeah, I really think that would have been at the end. Or maybe he just jumped with the hammer. Got into that, that broken down car. What was it? A Chevrolet? Yeah. What kind was it? Uh, and pushed himself off. Yeah, I visualized him landing on that car. Is that terrible? What I loved about that moment, I guess two two thoughts I had. One was I, I thought it was cool that here we're in um, San Francisco in the fog. And I thought that was like a perfect setting for him fading in and out of reality. Yeah. I thought that was cool to have that. I I thought that part was very well written because at, at the same time, he's thinking about his life and all of the things that were important to him. And that was, I thought, a bit of time travel, uh, a bit of like uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, his mind's jumping around. Right. Yeah, I can see that. I, I love the lion, but they saw this lion sitting there. I thought that, mm. I thought that was really cool. And of course, there's, that's 
is that meant to be him in a way? And I, I, yeah, I just like the idea that they would come across a lion. And now I'm trying to think of what it isn't that a isn't that a sign of something poignant, a transformation? That's a that's a, an archetype, right? Where where people see the the deer sort of crossing the road, or in this moment of maybe transcendence or transformation, they and in change they see an animal, they cross paths with some sort of animal and maybe it's a spirit animal i don't know i hadn't thought of that when i read that scene and i like that that he had in a, in some way maybe meets himself there on the bridge i was really interested in the way that the boys who were carrying him and keeping him safe reacted to the animal and the way different than we would if we approached an animal like that so that that was pretty good yeah, I think I probably would have approached it the same way, I think. But they, but certainly they were more... I think that's a question too, right? So are they... I, are, are they seem to have... I don't want to use the word devolve because I don't. that's not the way I, I look at it. But in, in the mind of the narrator, have they... Maybe it's not devolved, but have they become much more... Maybe the Native Americans were, right? And I would look at that as a much more... I, I don't know enough about it to have like real strong feelings, but certainly my it seems to me a much more harmonious relationship with. Yeah, I got that. I got that feeling too. And yeah, I, and I like that, and I like that idea. I think there's probably a lot we could learn from that. I, I don't know if the, the if Ish felt like that that it was um, if he saw that it doesn't seem to be totally. It's hard because it's not a terribly it have a negative tone at the end. But he's also so out of it that he seems just bewildered and lost. And so, and so, what's the suggestion? You do. You, it sounds like you felt like the suggestion is that humanity will 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 be all right, and we were left to feel like there will be a yeah a new era uh, for humanity. Yeah, I think that he looked at himself as almost like a demigod anyway, and that he was the last American and that he had some kind of responsibility to keep civilization alive. But every time he did that, he wasn't su- very successful at it. I think the, the author gave us enough of a, an idea of that he was open to new ideas. He might not have actually taken part of the idea, but he watched it happen and, and thought, oh, that's different than I would have done. Okay, I can't do anything about it anyway. So uh, let's see what happens. That's the. I mean, the title of the that part of the book is "The Last American," and maybe that that is worth exploring or kind of or defining as well. What makes him the last American? There has to be a, a nation. So if that nation is lost, he's the last person with a memory of that nation. So that makes sense. What other qualities are there that would define what it means to be American? I mean, are, are those guys, they're not American because they're not American because there's no nation. Is that as far as it goes? Or do they lack the kind of the qualities and the characteristics of his generation and therefore they're not American? Oh, good points. Maybe a little of both. What makes a good American? We're just in America. Yeah. yeah. Can someone walking in from Mexico into the United States be a good American? If they were a Mexican, I'd be the last Mexican. Would it be the same kinds of things that make an American, that make an, a Mexican? Or even better, Chinese. They all have a, a, a good sense of rule of law. 
in one way or another. I think that's what I'm getting at. What what he doesn't even though he 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 frets and 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 worries about the future, he doesn't really define what he means by kind of civilization or what he thinks about that. I mean, obviously there's, there's a learned quality. He seems like a pretty terrible teacher. You noticed that too. You know, like, like, really? Like, you wouldn't, you, I mean, like, all those kids wouldn't learn to read? And really no one else even wanted to help or was curious. That, that seems unlikely to me, that whole kind of idea. I think he just wanted to get away from the idea that reading and mathematics and writing and those kinds of things were very important to him. But at that point in time, were they really important? And to me as a teacher, I was torn with that too. Yeah, they need to know math and they need to know how to read and write. Did they? Do they? Well, what a perfect opportunity for like project-based learning. Yes. And that's what the uh, the carving was. Yeah. Well, and so it's so kind of like the gun in the vest. Like what about the refrigerator? I I, shouldn't they have gotten some kind of refrigeration working in the end? Yeah. I, I wondered about that too. And I, yeah, I felt like that should have been developed. Or maybe they, you know, smoked and salted their meats and, and didn't have to use refrigeration. What did we do with that before we yeah. had refrigeration? And that's, that's, I think that's the nerdy food stage I'm in where as somebody who got a little bit in the sourdough fad, that, that trend, and I made one loaf, which is crazy considering I've, I've still got some yeast alive in the fridge <laughs> and uh, chilling the fridge and I feeding that thing for, I made a lot of pancakes and was feeding that thing forever. Like I, and I was pickling a bunch of stuff too. And I would just love to, to have a, a, a cozy little apocalypse or catastrophe to spend a lot of time salting. And I certainly would have moved closer to the ocean. But to all my- yes. That's uh that was a little bit of a mystery to me because there were so many, there was so much cattle around that wasn't a, a problem, but they did catch fish in a stream. And most people's do early peoples did camp around water for just because right. necessary. Yeah, that that was a little strange to me too. Yeah, yeah. You go a little bit higher up in the hills, something that's running toward the ocean and close enough that you can get to the ocean within a day or two. Um, yeah, I suppose that they're in a suburb of, of San Francisco that's it's close enough to the ocean, right? But Yeah. But, but even then, I guess you would do, well, there, there's your question. What would you, I mean, if there was like seriously an apocalypse, what would we do? We all, we would all stay in our apartments until we didn't have to, right? Mm. That's that story of the apocalypse. In our, in our safe spot, right? Yeah, that would be yeah. it. What would you, yeah, you would stay. I love that about, and this would be a cool one to reread as well. It's, for me, it's been, how long has it been? probably been seven or eight years. Um, you know, I, I'd love to reread uh, World War Z again. You think you've read that? No, but I I guess I, I would. My my wife has to drag me into those kind of movies. I, hey, look. But I watch them. This is what I almost said. I was like, I suppose we could, we could read World War Z, and then I almost said, except it's nonfiction. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm telling you. Okay, I'm almost. I almost feel like we should just do that, even though that wasn't kind of what we talked about. Because I'm telling you, it will be one of the best things you've ever read. Whoa! 
I, I, my, my dad is a, was a history teacher forever, well, for like 20 years. And we were in Thailand and I was like, you gotta, you, and I, I just finished, I was like, you gotta read this. And of course, if I'd given him that for like Christmas or something, it would have sat on a bookshelf forever. I don't think he would have read it. But because of the moment on the beach, he picked it up and, and I, I didn't see the guy for two days. Like, wow. Seriously. And he was like, just kept talking about it. It was so amazing. And he was like talking about how it echoed all these moments in history. And it, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's so amazing because like there was really, instead of a World War III, there was this World War Z. And it's nothing like the movie. And the movie, I think, is cool in its own right. Like I'm not, I, I enjoyed the movie, but the, the, the book is constructed with kind of beginning, a middle, and an end. And, and I only yeah. say that because that frames it. But what you get is it's a series of, of stories written almost through a long form kind of featured journalism of different people's stories in the beginning, different people's stories in the middle, and different people's stories at the end. And, and then it moves all across the world where you get these, this kind of kaleidoscope of stories from all these different survivors. Not, not necessarily. No, wait, I missed that whole. Sorry. Hang, hang on a second. Uh, say that again. Hey. What you just said about the world. Sorry, sorry. You got, I, I, I didn't get the part where you, I got the middle part and end and the stories. And then you blanked out after that. Yeah. The, so you, it's really, it's this. So there is, it's more of a journalist who's writing like, like various articles that all tell different people's stories from different okay. parts of the world. So you get, so it's almost like a collection of short stories, but they all build so you get this larger, larger kind of meta narrative about what happened throughout the beginning, middle and end of this war against these zombie apocalypse. And so it's not about the zombies, it's about the people and how they 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 discovered and struggled against these zombies. It's really not it's just it's horrifying in these moments, of course. It's scary and intense in some moments, but it's not it's it's not a Hollywood movie at all. It's more about I mean you feel like you're in like the one that really stayed with me, one one of the ones with was this this guy who's playing in Japan in Tokyo. I think it's Tokyo. And this guy is just, he's a, he's a gamer, right? He lives with his parents. He's like in his room and he's just playing these games. That's kind of, you got to get this story. And then all of a sudden, and, and, and he's such a, a gamer that his parents would just slide the food under the door. And then one day the food doesn't arrive and he keeps playing his game and he just keeps getting kind of hungrier and he starts to come out of his room you're there with him as he discovers what's going on. He's been so entranced in his world of gaming that he has no idea. And then what happens? It goes from there, and how he ends up leaving. I don't want to spoil it, but you know he ends up. Yeah, don't leaving the Don't apartment. tell me. But it's it is a bunch of short stories like that, really, that are that all kind of weave together. No, they don't weave together because they're all like you don't come back to those characters, but they're all laid out in a way where you get the beginning and the middle and the end. Yeah, you get the story. Okay, I'm ready um, to read it. But I, oh man, I'm going to sell this whole thing, but I cannot. I'd have to borrow it from an online library. I can't do that. I, I, I got to take a break. So can we? Okay, can we make that our second one, or well, we we yeah, um, uh, keep it on the list. Yeah, maybe we can make that the next, the one after the next one. Uh, I thought you wanted to read Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, yeah. 451. So I, I would I would be totally cool to do that. How many times have you read it? Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. So I've probably read Fahrenheit. I actually don't know. It's been that many times. 
I would say probably, I argue it's not a crazy number, like five or six times, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, so partially what I've read more than that, but I would say, yeah, in, in its entirety, five, six times. And I would say I haven't, and I haven't read it. I started it a few years ago and then just got pulled away. So I, I've, I, I don't think I've read it in five years at least. Okay. So you've seen the movie, the first movie with. I've, I've um, seen the first one a few times, The Truffaut. The Truffaut. Yeah. 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 Francis Truffaut. Okay. And then, and then there's a series you said that I uh, think I'll have to catch up on. They, there was a remake with Michael B. Jordan in okay. 2000. Uh, I'm not sure now. Is 16 or something like that? 16 or 17? Maybe 18? So I've read the books a couple of times at least and seen the movie and really love the story. And this is probably a book most... The, the most known book background that that we've read so far. I think it'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah, that's true. It's not. I think all of these, most of these, so far have been something we haven't. At least one of us hasn't read previously. Um, I think they've all been. Almost all of them have been new to me. You've read a few, like you've read Found, kind of Foundation before. After all of these years knowing about this book, I finally read it. It didn't meet my expectations. I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be more about the earth and tribes and things. But this was focused on this group of people and this character and Ish and his friends and community that they developed and stayed there. I didn't think it was going to be so much of that. I thought it was going to be a little bit broader. But I wasn't disappointed. I just thought it was different than what I expected. Yeah, I would echo that. And I wonder if there were to be fan fiction of this. I could see uh, <laughs> Ooh. interesting thought. Like, would it be, there's two versions of it I would enjoy. And one is Ish on the Road. <laughs> Maybe that would be like a- that, that hammer would see more action, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. Ish, Ish and his hammer hit the highway. That's got to be it. Ish. <laughs> um, and then, and then I, I, I could see something like, what would it be like? But it, Ish hammers his way to a garage brewery or something like. Oh yeah, we'll have to um, <laughs> come up with some some pretty hard hitting puns about this hammer. I think. Yeah, his hammer. You think it would be a pen or something like? What's his tool? I guess it's too small. Is that a play on the hammer and the nail in some way? Is it a? Uh, <laughs> I think I'd rather do a hammer than a hammer as a tool. I mean, for intellectual, I don't know. They certainly certainly choose the hammer option. The hammer is the death, is the banishment, the nail. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Also used to uh, keep track of time and events, maybe some kind of permanence chiseled into the stone of time. I thought that was a good device that the author used for that. Yeah, you um, think, yeah. If it, if it were a play, like what would it, you know, what would, that would be a good prop. It, it would. Mm-hmm. You could see that hammer hanging on the wall to mark the passage of time in some way, and the intensity when he grips it, right, is meaningful. And and then, yeah, yeah, like you, like you're saying, it's a return to that hammer at the end, and the passing. Of it. I see more and more echoes with the idea of fire, right. Mm-hmm. A, a symmetry there with that symbolism and the it's the not the passing of the torch but the passing of 
the hammer, right, to somebody else. Um, yeah, a symbol of power, a symbol of uh, wisdom from this. And yeah, interesting the way that all developed and that Ish was, how Ish described that as something that surprised him. Yeah. He didn't mean for that to happen. A little right. bit like Craig and Arix, uh, uh, Onyx or Arix? Yeah. yeah, and Craig, when I can't remember the name of the main character, the, the ghost guy right. sur- surviving. Yeah. Anyway, he went to, he went off site. He was living with the, the genetically developed clan and he left for a while and then came back. And when he came back, they had made a, an effigy of him right. to call him back. And one of my questions about this book is, is religion, superstition, that kind of stuff, is that, is that inherent in us or is it environmental? I, I just think that did, I, there must be studies about that somewhere. I was going to look that up, but I lost yeah. the time. Yeah, uh, Snowman, you mean? Uh, Snowman, yes. Yeah, that would be a great one. To, I had a, a friend who was reading it uh, recently and uh, would be a good one to reread. That whole series is one that I wouldn't mind revisiting. So I, I, I don't know if I quite appreciated it in the moment as much as I, I, I didn't find Atwood portrayal in some ways. I, I kind of thought it was a little extreme, and, and, and which is amazing because it was only a few years ago that we read it. And mm-hmm. gosh, I found myself thinking about it, and I feel like it's not extreme at all. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think she's it's really appreciated right like i i, I could <laughs> I, I just see echoes of that all around and maybe i need to take better notes to revisit it more quickly in my head but, but anyway what you're saying about religion and kind of this yeah the idea of an effigy or kind of building that and, and i yeah I, I would i wouldn't have minded if that was explored a bit more as well i think the yeah what it makes of course, if people don't understand things, they would look at it that way. His example of going to the library and acting out in a moment of, of anger and beating his kids, basically, because they were tossed around these books, and that that would then become something yeah. so sacred. I, I think that completely makes sense. And then if you're not uh, conscious of that over time, then, then the strength of something Grows. Maybe it's about the power of symbols and symbolism. I think the other thing I was going to say when you were saying that is, I think I would have a better appreciation of, or I could have a better discussion of this too, if I understood some of those things better. Like, I don't think I understand how all that works. Yeah. Like, so the... So uh, you mean how early peoples developed superstitions, ceremonies, traditions, yeah, yeah. Uh, those it, kinds you know, of things that then followed into an organization that needed guidance for people and then developed into religion and political organization. But do we need that? Is that inherent in us? If we just, if the population was wiped out down to 1%, would we then, if we forgot all about religion, would we develop a new one? Hold that thought. Uh, I want to grab a, a title of a book somebody gifted me re- recently. I, yeah, I, and, and so what would you, he has the demigod side of this where he, it almost seems like he's going to, he, he realizes, and this, there's a lot of arrogance here too, right? I think from him that he seems to think he's so above others that he could almost invent some religion uh, that he could use and wield to his whims and, and, 
and fancy. Is that the way religion develops? Could be. Could I, be. I, <laughs> for for, yeah, for power purposes, political. Sure, I think people wield a lot of things like that for their own power. So here's a book that uh, this is, I think there's a bunch of these that I need to kind of read. This book is called Alien Phenomenology, or What It's Like to Be a Thing by Ian Bogost or Bogost. So this is the, from the back cover. Humanity has sat at the center of philosophical thinking for too long. The recent advent of environmental philosophy and post-human studies has widened our scope of inquiry to include ecosystems, animals, and artificial intelligence. Yet the vast majority of the stuff in our universe and even in our lives remains beyond serious intellectual concern. In Alien Phenomenology, What It's Like to Be a Thing, Ian Bogost develops an object-orientated ontology that puts things at the center of being, a mode of thought in which nothing exists any more or less than anything else, in which humans are not the sole or even primary elements of interest. And unlike phenomenology or the philosophy of technology, Bogos' alien phenomenology takes for granted that all beings interact and perceive one another. This experience, however, withdraws from human comprehension and becomes accessible only through speculative thought based on metaphor. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. right? So the, it's almost like how would, if we were to remove humans and kind of human perspective, how would, what, what do things mean without the, the kind of a human perspective. Yes. Interesting. What are the, some chapter headings called? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. I'll tell you. So it's alien <laughs> phenomenology. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Ontography. Metaphor is carpentry and wonder. Okay. Yeah. And there's a few pictures in here. What's the name of it again? Alien phenomenology kind of a crappy title sorry but interesting idea is artificial intelligence a thing that was wondering on the, on the cover you see a i don't know what this one is tile it almost looks like a mahjong tile and then there's a little drumette like it looks like a, a buffalo wing there's a panda in the middle and it ends with a pack of cigarettes. Interesting. Yeah, it's got, I, uh, <laughs> it, it seems really cool. There's a deck of cards in a, as a picture inside. There's a, a picture of some household objects from the 70s, a TV, a water fountain, a lamp, an old McDonald's styrofoam kind of order, a Chevron sign over, over you know, hanging over a sidewalk, a, a plate with a pancake, and one with a, a knife. Uh. It's unopened. With a switch, looks like a switchblade. With an apple, an avocado. And... How about the family dog? No, I think it's all inanimate objects. Oh. Um, there's a, there's so a, the a, animal a, world is not included in that. I think it's a living thing. Uh, it's on my list of things to read this July. The other one, this yeah. one, classic, is on my list. Not, not, not if I'll get both, both exactly, is. Uh, Metaphors we live by. Ooh. Yeah, metaphors we live by. So I don't know your question there. Have you thinking about both those? 
Does yeah. does the book Metaphors We Live By, does it have any examples, quick examples? A metaphor that I live by. I'm trying to think. I know I live by many. Yeah, so look at the table of contents. Well, you mentioned metonymy, personification. Does your dog talk to you? It really scratches my leg when he wants something. Yeah, I don't know if the titles, the meanings old this. I don't know the titles reveal enough. You know, I think we gotta read them aloud, but I want to know if the metaphors I live by are good metaphors or not. Yeah, I'm gonna guess that a lot of these I'm guessing they're not taking a good or bad view of it, but here's a here's a I just open up a random page. So these are all presented reason. Because I'm bigger than you, intimidation. Because if you don't, I'll threat. Oh. Authority, because you're stupid. Insult, because you usually do. Oh. Because I have as much right as you do challenging authority. Because I love you, evading the issue. Because if you yeah. want blank, I'll blank. Bargaining, because you're so much better yeah. at flattery. I don't know, that was just a random page. but That fits back into our story about authority, because I'm smarter than you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or is better... Oh, anyway, this, yeah, 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 kind of a fascinating read. Kind of bring some of those. In. The other thing, I, we don't have to discuss it now, but I, I think it's obvious. But you know, I just I thought that the idea, a lot of biblical references there, right? At the titles drawn from Ecclesiastes. I think the what was the mm. final quote? I don't even know if I actually wrote that down. The yeah, what was the first part of that? I shoot. Yeah, well, the. Okay. Um, is it people come and go or, or in the earth abide? Right? I from Ecclesiastes, these early biblical stories of, of plague and flooding and, and all these natural elements that people struggle against or face and the, the, the near insignificance of humanity. And is is Ish meant to be a, you know, is he a Noah-like figure? Is he, is he like Moses to some degree? Those were references. Yeah, and, in the and, book, and, and there's obviously there's like an Adam and Eve thing going on, and and, and is it is a sort of a Garden of Eden, and that there's threats from mansion. And I thought those were interesting elements. I think it's, of course, that would be there any sort of seemingly beginning that's a part about tr- doing things differently or procreation, fathering a new group of people. I struggled that with a bit because he knows there's a lot more out there. And I, I just don't see why you don't either build more where you are, like you either create your, you know, build your, you know, I call it your, your castle, your. Yeah. I, he mentioned right at the beginning, the Robinson Crusoe and Swiss Family Robinson did do that. They built these little devices that would make their life better. And I think that he could have done more with that, but maybe... Thinking about it, the first, second generations uh, of survivors probably were pretty traumatized or would be traumatized if they lived through that and now here they are the only ones. But then the third generation moving even farther away from what was here before is just surviving they always have. And these artifacts that surround them here every once in a while or what was it what was the show tales from the loop yeah on 
they were left behind and sometimes they have good stuff and sometimes they don't. It could be dangerous. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking, what if he was a hoarder? Oh my God. Ish, ish, and is, it, it, ish, the, ish, ish, there was the hammer. Like, <laughs> you know, he yeah. everything. And, and wouldn't you do that? I could see myself. I think I, I would take over some kind of building and I would just spend the mall. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe the mall or something. I'm trying to think of some kind of. I watched some series of, uh, and it's a zombie apocalypse thing. There's like different cliques and groups of people. It's a bunch of teenagers, and there's somebody that kind of takes over the mall. I can't think of the name of it. Oh, I'll later. But yeah, wouldn't you like hoard all these supplies and things and batteries and make sure they don't erode and all these different supplies? And so if you did run out of electricity, like, at least you'd have when necessary, like rations for those things for as long as you could make it last. And it seems like you would have enough knowledge to, you know, to make that last for a long time. Maybe that's a fantastic or kind of a, a rose colored way of looking at what that future might be like. But I... Yeah, I don't know. I like that idea of trying to, I just, I guess in my mind, when I'm thinking about this, I kind of picture them in on the streets with a bunch of houses and maybe a few fences here or there, like just a typical, I don't know, maybe like a Stranger Things kind of neighborhood. And uh, what's his name? can't remember his name now. The guy, the carpenter guy. George. Who is it? George. Yeah, I get Charlie and George. The name's mixed up and they're very different people. Yeah, George kept things tidy because he kind of knew about what to do. But if you get, if you're, if you don't pass on that knowledge, then you just don't. You have to start from the be- beginning. And, and that was Itch's problem because he didn't want to start from the beginning. He thought that we had progressed so far that we should hold on to those kinds of things. Is right. that really important. Yes, there are some things that that we've done as a civilization that would be important. Like in Norway, Finland, someplace in a cave, we have every seed for everything. Mm -hmm. That that would be useful. I thought about that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, wouldn't you... I just feel like you'd spend your time... You'd want to spend your time doing some of that. Something more... I just wonder where all the time went... Um, I feel like there were so many meaningful things that could have been done, and it seemed to be. If you have, think about Charlie, if you had eight more of those running around, that would take up a lot of your time. Do you get the sense that he would spend a lot of his time doing that? I get what you're saying. Mm, he doesn't seem like the type, but I, what else are you going to do? And I, and I would say we've spent, we've been talking for, I guess about, was it been an hour? And, and we have not talked about the racism and sexism in this, in this book. And I don't know if we, I don't think we always want to, well, I don't know. We want to spend our time discussing that because I don't think those are the most, I don't know. It's not the... I don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's difficult. These older books, like, do we spend our time talking about that? It certainly bothered me. Give me a couple of examples of the racism well, that you saw, you if, you, if you have about, it. Talking about M in the beginning when he first meets her, and that she's of a you know darker uh-huh. skin, and it's these she's darker skin, but she's okay, basically. But that's okay. And so there's this kind of maybe for the time period, it was a bit pushing the 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 the, the boundaries of what was like sci-fi often does one of the beautiful things about sci-fi pushing some boundaries as to what was you know acceptable for white audiences and readers 
but those those consumers of it that there was the way the I mean, he used the phrase kind of Negroes and how they're portrayed in his travels, right? Simple, but the way he describes it, it's as if their simplicity is attached to their race. I can't, I can't pull up quickly because I've got this expired open, open internet archive version. Uh, okay. But but there, yeah, the way he talks about I, it, I remember that. Yeah, and in the beginning, the way he characterizes that couple he meets on the way to, I think it's outside of Chicago or something. Mm, yeah, the, they're living on the land. That's the best they can do. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of, I was just, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, I get that it's 1949, and that's a way that somebody may have written then. But as a reader today, I was just bothered by that. And so I, don't, I guess I don't want to, I think those are those would be important things to look at. I think the way that he talks about M throughout, there's a lot of, you know, he's playing with a lot of stereotypes of that she's more sensitive and thinks of things this way. But as a man, I think of the, the, the bigger picture. She thinks of the simple day-to-day kind of things. But I'm, I'm thinking about the, the bigger abstract ideas as if those are more important. I do think that all the assumptions with the women and they're often portrayed as, as emotional, very sensitive to the moment, not their, their beauty or looks are emphasized versus their, their intellectual capacity and or their mind i i totally agree with that and it was not it it didn't hit me as a reader over the head it was very subtle and institutional and that we are talking about this is meaningful i think that's part of why you know i I, part of me wants to talk about some of these issues because they're so important but yeah I, i I think it kind of comes back to this, this ongoing theme of whether you I think these, they're still worth reading for other reasons, but that's problematic and, and should be criticized. Right? Criticized and talked about. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, maybe that's how we deal with it is by bringing it out in the open and saying, hey, this is a story that we appreciate, but we didn't appreciate this aspect of it. It was subtle here, but definitely strong enough that I, I, I felt uncomfortable. And I think if I were a reader of color or, or a woman, I, I would have really an especially hard time reading not just this one, but a number of the ones that we've read. So, you know, again, yeah. Stranger in Strange Lands, like, a, like really yeah. <laughs> affronting, right? But yeah, It's institutional racism is a very subtle kind of thing. And, and I've been really paying attention to that. One of the statues that they are taking down in New York City in front of the Natural History of Natural History Museum is Teddy Roosevelt on a horse and a slave behind him and a Native American behind him on the horse. I've walked by that statue, I'm sure, and never noticed that. So that's how subtle things. Now I look at it and say, whoa, no kidding. That's got to go. Yeah, but I think that's, I, it's funny because I was thinking of statues too as, we, as I was talking because I think that the, yeah, the way that we talk about those things and the way that we, and this is, maybe this is life, death, and, and sci-fi because this is our life and this is the reality of those, you know, that sci-fi moment in, 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 in parallel to the way we're living now. One issue with the statues is in some ways they're, they're celebrated and held up as symbols that are in your face for everyone to see, even though it, they perpetuate superiority or by a certain group or, or a certain uh, stereotype or a troubling encapsulation of a period that's not, it's inaccurate and maybe wrong, definitely wrong. Yeah. In cases. 
And and so, you know, with, with these, it's something I've been thinking about in regards to what I read and what I put out there, because this, if, if we're reading this and talking about it, putting this out there, is it's, it's not exactly a celebration of it. There's, there's an enjoyment in the ex- exploration, but I don't know, you know, at, at what point does it become something you don't want to necessarily celebrate because of some values that it espouses? So here's a classic work. That's amazing. Like I said, it's quite subtle. And so maybe in that sense, what point does it cross a line? Yeah, I like that idea because I I think I could probably work out a list of of things that would cross the line for me. Never. Um, Yeah, I hear what you're saying though. Totally. Maybe, maybe maybe that can be a, a section for us. Not not the kid not the, the kids of the directions, but before we start to kind of, kind of like we're to try to work through those issues of, of you know, we've got we've got a, a list exactly. we've got a list of Wi-Fi devices we're trying to find. Maybe there's a, a, as we try to sort through this, maybe there's discussion about where where do we where does this draw the line or what's the scale of whether something is recommendable or not given some. How it holds up across time. How well does this book time travel? You know. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like that. I think I'm gonna work on that. Yeah, I think that would be something cool to discuss. All right, you gotta go. I think I gotta go. 